0: Would you take your Bible now and go to Matthew chapter 5. This will be our last time spending an extended meditation on this text we have for the last 3 weeks. For those of you who are our guests, we are seeking to to let God's word um Let God's word influence our reactions and responses to all that's going on around us in the world at the present moment. And we believe the scripture we've been looking at in Matthew 5 verses 14 through 16 is not only helping us navigate through these moments. We believe that they are equipping us to continue to respond to moments like these. Helping us as a church recognize what is our responsibility to a broken world that is often wrecked by the damaging effects of injustice and the damaging effects of the curse on account of sin. And so we're looking at this text to help us do that. I'm sure, like many of you, you've been, uh, one thing that's helped you kind of stay a little light in these times has been considering all the the 2020 memes and posts that have been appearing ad nauseum on social media. Some of them are actually funny and, and kind of help things be a little light when things are honestly very, very difficult. One of my favorite ones um, that, I, uh, that I looked at throughout this whole, pro- this whole season was discovered by myself this last week, and it said this. This weekend, I'm going to sling some candy out the door, toss a turkey in the oven, open a few presents, and call it a year. <laughs> uh, for some of you, you are just ready. We are just ready for 2020 to be over. Some have been calling it the worst year in their lifetime, but I got some news for you. There's still six months re- left, so buckle up. Um, who knows what else is going to be filled um, in this year? And it seems to me as we think about that and we joke about that, that there are certain times in life, there are certain seasons that we go through, where the best way to describe what's going on can kind of come from the opening line of Charles Dickens' classic, A Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Maybe that's how you feel, but you're waiting for the best part, right? Right? Um, I'm not sure if you've ever read the classic or if you're familiar with the story, you've probably heard that line, but that little phrase, it was the best of times and the worst of times, actually has a, is, is, a, is a longer sentence, and I think it really helps us get a handle on what we should expect in times like these. He writes, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the epic of belief, it was the epic of incredulity. It was the season of light, it was the season of darkness, it was the spring of hope, it was the winter of despair. That famous opening, like the story itself, asserts that in the most dark and difficult moments, there is provided an opportunity for light to shine most brilliantly, in Dickens' view, it, it was the dark times of economic and political unrest that, in the two cities of London and Paris that kind of broke way for the light to shine on the other side of both the American and the French revolutions. And the story captures that, how in the midst of very dark and difficult times, light shines and, and the light is beautiful and, and brings renewal in the midst of some of the most difficult and tumultuous Times. And I think we are living, church, in the midst of such an opportunity. Racial tensions, social unrest, polarizing politics, unprecedented economic and joblessness in this season. And, and let's not forget, we're still in the midst of a pandemic. All of this darkness, all of this difficulty, I believe is an incredible opportunity for the light of Christ to shine and bring true hope, true hope to our dark and desperate world. And as we continue to meditate on Christ's words in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, we are being reminded that church, we have a part to play to bring light into the darkness. It's in times of pervasive darkness that the church must step forward and shine the light of Christ. That is the big idea of, that we've been meditating on from Matthew 5, 14 through 16, and we will continue to consider that yet again this morning. So let me direct your attention now to the text. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Let us hear the word of God. Christ said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That is God's word. May he add his blessing upon its reading and teaching by the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. So how? That's what we've been talking about last week and now again this week. How? How do we shine the light in Jesus' name? How do we consider all the darkness and difficulty that's going on around us and with hope and resilience be who Christ has called us to be? And let our light shine. How do we do it? How do we be who we are? How do we let our light shine and bring glory to the Father in heaven and in the prospect and in the process push back the darkness all around us? Well, last week we considered first the, the metaphor of light as good works. This light that we're shining, what is it? It's the good works of the church. According to Jesus in verse 16, the light that we shine are our good works. And so light is being used metaphorically to describe both the function and effect of our good works. So the way we let our light shine in the darkness of this world is by doing these good works. Our good works shine the light. So what kind of good works are we talking about? We consider how the word good in the original language finds its home originally in the roots of classic Greek philosophy. It's the word "kalos." It was a word that was used regularly by Plato and Aristotle and Socrates. It was a word that was used to describe the beautiful life, the virtuous life, And it later morphed into this general idea of the good life or the way life should be. And so to live a good life or to be a good person or to do good things was to order one's life in such a way that you conform to the standard of the way it should be. And so you would do this personally in your character and in your home and out in the community and in politics, etc. To live a good life was to conform your life to the standard of the good life. And then when you would see things that weren't the way they should be, a good person would do the good works of moving things in the direction of the way they should be. This is the word that Jesus used to describe how the church functions as light, how the the church shines the light he used the word that was used to describe the way things should be, the good. So we shine, church, by working toward making things the way they should be. Good works are activities, our efforts. It's, it's putting forth our energy to move things in the direction of the way they should be. Obviously, first and foremost, that starts at home. That starts with us personally, in our character. We want our lives to be the way they should be. We should want our homes to be the way they should be. We should want our neighborhood to be the way it should be. And then our campus, and then our workplace, and then our government, our world. We should want it to be the way it should be. So how should it be? Well, we don't come up with that standard based upon the philosophical ideas of Plato or Aristotle or Socrates, right? The way it should be has been clearly defined by the God of the universe, the creator. The creator has clearly communicated the way it should be. Our creator has a beautiful and glorious vision for the way the world should be. And he's, he's spared He spared no effort to make it crystal clear. He's created a world. Natural revelation makes it clear the way it should be. He's given a special revelation. His word makes it clear concerning the way it should be. And then ultimately, he sent us his son, the living word, who through his life and through his ministry has made it clear this is the way it should be. And so with God's word and God's world and God's son as our standard of goodness, as our standard of love and justice and righteousness, we seek to live our lives in conformity to that standard. And we seek to show it off to a watching world that needs to know the good, the way it should be. And so when we church see things, that aren't the way they should be, we work towards seeing them become the way they should be. Those would be, those activities, those those exertions of effort would be good works in Christ's use of these words. And so Christians, we should care about things being the way they should be. We should care About things being the way they should be both on a personal and on a systemic level. We should care about our lives being the way they should be. And we should care about the world working, operating systemically the way they should be. And so that brings us kind of to where we are in the midst of the the conversations and the protests and the oppression that those in the black community are feeling in terms of social injustices in relationship to race and equality. We are watching things not be the way they should be. And so we as Christians should care about things being the way they should be, both on a systemic level and on a personal level. We need to care both about the individual people who are involved in all that's going on, and we need to care about the systems. Good systems and good human hearts are necessary for things to be the way they should be. So as Christians, we should care and work toward both. I read an article this week that I thought was very helpful in terms of understanding both the responsibility we have to do good works towards improving systems and bringing the gospel to individual human hearts. Uh, This article was called Pervasive Injustice. It was written by Justin Poitras, and he said the following. He said, True justice and righteousness requires good individuals, especially those in power, and good systems. Good individuals and good systems. He says, That's why the most upstanding individual can be spit out of a corrupt system. And we find paper democracies which look beautifully egalitarian in principle while harboring the grossest abusers. To take the ready example of racism, we cannot hope that better teaching, training, and vetting of individuals in positions of authority, apart from systems of accountability, will diminish oppression. You need good systems. But on the other hand, we cannot believe that perfect institutional equity systems will change a racist heart or an attitude of superiority or fear in other words in order for the world to be the way it should be in order for something that's not the way it should be to be brought into conformity to God's good intention for his world we must give attention both to systems and individuals In order for there to be true justice and righteousness in this world, that is, for things to be the way they should be, good, you need both just systems and justified people. So in the example of the injustice of racism, what do good works look like? What does it look like to shine the light to do good works in the face of the injustices of racism in america well, it looks like giving attention to both systems and individuals good works looks like working toward the creation of ref- the creation or the reform of broken systems and work toward them becoming just and fair to work for the fair treatment of all human beings that are created in the image of God, both on the economic and academic and social, political levels. And good works also look like, not that alone, good works also looks like bringing the gospel to individual hearts. That alone can transform the inward pride and discrimination and superiority complexes that rage and turn them into love and fairness and compassion. Good systems don't change hearts. Only the gospel can do that, but we need good systems for human hearts to live in and to operate within in order for humanity to flourish. According to God's good plan, there needs to be both systems and individual hearts and lives that are brought into conformity to God's standard of goodness that is displayed most clearly through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So good works, like peacefully protesting racial inequality, are necessary for bringing attention to broken systems, while the good works of proclaiming the gospel to individual hearts, both those who are racist and those who are, who are struggling to embrace the reality that these injustices actually exist, all, all of this needs to be given attention to. And that's how the church shines the light. And, and not to just give, uh, even though this is the moment that we're feeling right now, I'm hoping that this teaching helps us apply this across the board to other injustices and to, to other ways in which we see brokenness both on a systemic and individual level in our lives and in our city and in our world. It's not just racism which is a big deal right now and we don't want to mute the significance of this moment in relationship to that but it comes back to the, to the things that we're, we've already been caring about as a local church and we've already been caring about as the big C church in America uh, like abortion The same can be applied to the injustice of abortion. What do good works look like in the face of that injustice? Well, there are both systemic and individual ways for us to do good works. Good works looks like peacefully protesting outside the building of a Planned Parenthood. It looks like voting for candidates who are life-affirming. Why? Because we need to address the systems that allow unborn babies to be murdered in the womb. That's a good work. That's addressing a system. But we also need to do the good works of coming alongside the individual women who are wrestling and conflicted over an unwanted or an unplanned pregnancy and come alongside of them and minister to them with love and mercy and care and support and help them make wise decisions that honor God in Jesus' name with Jesus' gospel. So shining God's light in this dark world looks like doing good works that move things in the direction of the way they should be, both systemically and on an individual level. And our prayer is, this is what we talked about this a little bit last week, our prayer should be in in conjunction with what Paul revealed in Ephesians 2 verse 10 we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that you prepared beforehand that we should walk on them. And so the reality of how we are supposed to shine this light should translate into a, a humility uh, that, that gives ourselves to a pathway of discovery. Lord, show us what good works do you want us to do? What are you calling us to do both as individual Christians and as a local church collectively to shine the light of Christ by doing good works that move things in the direction of the way they should be in conformity to your standard of goodness and righteousness and justice? We should be praying that way. Oh, and this last Thursday night we had a wonderful prayer meeting together as a local church. A number of you were able to come out and we prayed, we poured out our hearts to God together with this in view. And hearing some of you share the way your hearts are being stirred to want to do good works in Jesus' name with Jesus' gospel. Some addressing systemic issues. Some dealing with individuals who need the gospel of Jesus Christ in the wake of all that's going on. And hearing you articulate those things And then us being able to come alongside of you and pray for those things. This is what we need to be doing right now. We don't need to be looking at all that's going on and just simply say, Jesus, come back. We need to look at all that's going on around us and say, oh Lord, how can we push back the darkness? How can we let our light shine through good works that bring things more closely in line with the way things should be in Jesus' name, with Jesus' gospel. And so as we do that, as we pray that way, as God leads us and brings clarity, uh, there's one more thought I want us to consider before we're finished meditating on this text. I hope we never move on from the truth of this text. I hope we never move on from the way this, this text helps equip us but we will be moving on from this three-part meditation. Um, But I want us to think about one more thing, and it's the way light works. The way light works. Light works publicly. Light shines out in the open. And so Christians have a unique responsibility to not simply worship in private not simply to celebrate their values in biblical fellowship but christians have the responsibility to take the things that matter to us to take the things that matter to god to take his words and his ways and make them public notice the language Jesus uses to describe the context in which these good works are done. He says that you are the light of the world. He says that when you let your light shine, it it gives light to all in the house. And then he says, let your light shine before others that they may see. In the world, to all in the house, and before others. The world is talking about humanity. The world is talking about, right now for us, the the seven point however many billion people that are on God's green earth. It's talking about humanity as a whole. Humanity as a whole needs to see this light. All in the house kind of takes it a step further, but more on a familial, relational level. The people that are close to us, the people that make up our house, the people that we are in relationship with, the people that we rub shoulders with, they need to see this light. And then the others, let your light shine before others that they may see. I believe there's a a contrast here. Not that this is creating an us and them dichotomy, but there are those who follow Christ and there are those who do not follow Christ. In the context that this sermon was given, there were those who were on the side of the mountain who were listening deeply to everything Jesus had to say. These were his his professed followers. He said, there are those who are gathered here who are listening to my words, but there are those who are not. There are others. They need to see this light. So in other words, Jesus is saying this light that needs to be shined, these good works that need to be done, these efforts to bring both systems and individuals in line with the way they should be according to God's good standard, this ministry must take place in the eyes of the public. What all this means is that Jesus intends for us To work towards the way being the the way they should be, in the midst of, not in isolation from the world. Our ministry as light is public, not private. And you you might think it's it's weird to have to accent that. I don't think so. A couple years ago, there was a very popular book that was making its rounds. It was called The Benedict Option. Many people read it. I read it. It was, it was touted as probably one of the most influential religious books of 2017. In it, author Rod Dreyer suggests that because the Western world is becoming more and more inconducive to Christians being able to live out their, their moral and religious values, that it may be time for the church to consider piecing out. It may be time for the church to withdraw from the public and live more communally so that we can experience the fullness of our values, the fullness of our beliefs, the fullness of the way things should be according to God's standard. And this generated a lot of attention, and this generated a lot of conversation. And it was the opinion of the author that, it may be time for Christians to to do something radical in order to preserve the faith, protect the next generation, and find a way to fully express their biblical values. Now, I would encourage you to read the book. It's very challenging, and it's very helpful in a number of ways. Rod's insights and warnings about our culture and politics and what he calls... Liquid morality. Things are always moving, always changing. What's right, what's wrong, what can be said, what should not be said. All of this is, is kind of moving all the time. And he's right. I believe his, his critique of the culture is right. But I'm afraid his recommendation, his solution, is antithetical to the commission of Christ. We don't retreat From the world because it's not the way it should be. Rather, Christ has sent us to live in the midst of the world to show and shine the way it should be. The church is called to shine light into the darkness. And I agree with Rod, things seem to be getting really more a lot more difficult for us as Christians to embrace our values publicly. It really is. These are difficult times. And and as we were talking about this, I was reminded by by Rachel this week. She's reading in Timothy, in Paul's epistle to Timothy. And Rachel's like, didn't didn't Paul say that that there's going to come a time where things just keep getting worse before Jesus comes back and makes everything new? I'm like, yeah, you're right. (laughs) This is exactly the way it's going to be. Until Jesus comes back and makes everything right again. But until he comes back and makes everything right again, the church, we have been commissioned to shine as light in the midst of darkness. Where is light needed? In dark places. So we are to be, as Jesus said, in the world But not of the world. In other words, we're to penetrate the darkness, but we're not to, we're to be careful to not let the darkness penetrate and overtake us. And we know all too well that darkness because the darkness is what we have been rescued from the inward darkness of our sin, the inward darkness of our human corruption, the the inward darkness of our rebellion against God in his ways. The only reason, church, we care about things being the way they should be is because Christ came to us and undid our hearts that we're not doing things the way they should be. We've been forgiven of our darkness. We've been translated into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. And I think when we think about it that way, as we interact with the darkness all around us, we don't do so self-righteously. How dare you be so dark? We do so humbly. Gratefully, because God in His mercy has dispelled the darkness from our human hearts and has shined in us the light of His grace and mercy and forgiveness and transformative power. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. We live in and with and for our neighbors and neighborhoods who are trapped in darkness. Darkness is where the light is needed. With this in view, it was Tim Keller who who recently said, quote, if you are in a city or a community that is broken, where people are burned out or spiritually lost, stay as long as you can. Why? Why? The darkest places are in desperate need of light. Church, let's not forget the gospel is not just for us. The gospel is not just for me. It's a gospel for the world. And it's a world that is lost in darkness. So we need to be in the midst of darkness in order to shine our light. We certainly must not allow this darkness to overtake us, but we must not retreat from the darkness all around us. Darkness needs light. Darkness needs to be exposed by the light. That's why calling out injustices is part of shining the light. Darkness needs to be exposed. What, what are you hearing? What have we been hearing all across our city for the last three weeks? What have we been hearing all across our country for the last three weeks? Injustices continue to be effective affected. Pervasively in the black community. And so what do we do? We confronting it, calling it out. That's what light does to darkness. It exposes it. Darkness needs to be exposed by the light. Darkness needs to be corrected by the light. Not just exposed. Not just embarrassed. Not just called out, but corrected. There's darkness over here. Here's the light. This is the way it should be. See? So, darkness needs to be exposed by the light. Darkness needs to be corrected by the light. And those trapped in darkness need to be brought to the light. In one of Paul's prayers in Colossians chapter 1, one of my favorite Pauline prayers. Is a celebration of Him who has brought us out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His light. If you're a follower of Jesus, you were once in darkness. And you've been brought out of the darkness to the light. Why? At some point, at some time, in some way, someone brought the light of the gospel to you. Where? In your darkness. In your dark places, with your dark beliefs, living in your dark activities. And there are varying degrees of darkness. I get it. But here's why you are a Christian today. In God's mercy, someone brought you the light. And in order to bring you the light, they had to come into your darkness. And by God's mercy, by God's grace, you were rescued from the dark and brought into the light of Christ's love and mercy and grace. Oh, church, we have the responsibility to be a city of light within a world of darkness, publicly shining the light of God's standard of goodness and mercy and justice calling the world and calling individual men and women to come to the lordship of christ and see him as the saving king to see him as the one who not only transforms our lives but as the one who transforms our world in fact when he comes back he will create a new system a new world government where every knee bows and every tongue confesses that jesus christ is lord And that his way is the way and the truth and the life. That his world was made to work in a certain way. And so we shine that light now in the midst of darkness. Knowing that one day the whole world will be made new. We shine now in the darkness. Declaring both through our words and our deeds that only Jesus can make this world whole again. That only Jesus can make people whole again. That only Jesus can make society whole again. That only Jesus can make all creation whole again. That only Jesus can make justice roll down the mountains like a river. That only Jesus can make the lion lie with the lamb. That only Jesus can make sinners saints. Only Jesus can make us truly one kingdom under God with liberty and justice for all. He can and he will do this when he returns and makes all things new. But until that day, we must shine our light. We must not hide from the world. We must penetrate the darkness in the world. We must shine our light publicly. We don't withdraw. We don't retreat. We don't act like we're losing. Why? Because Jesus has already won. We will overcome. This world will overcome. Because Christ has already won. So what's this mean practically? Practically it means we don't just call injustice injustice behind closed doors. We do it publicly. We speak publicly. We act publicly. We call racism what it is in public. We call sin what it is in public. We call abuse what it is in public. We call abortion what it is in public. We call sexuality what it is in public. We call marriage what it is in public. We defend the exclusivity of the gospel in public. We shine the light of the way it should be in public. We don't withdraw from the darkness. We don't act like it's a lost cause. We shine the light and we trust that light will have its way. Think of the public ministry of Jesus. The public ministry of Jesus. He was a vagabond minister to show us the public nature of the kingdom of God's work. He's letting his light shine before men that they may see his good works in public. Where is he doing all of his stuff? He's healing the sick. He's freeing the oppressed. He's embracing the marginalized. He's rebuking religious hypocrisy. He's confronting racial tensions. And ultimately, he's dying on the cross in the place of sinners to provide salvation. Where? In public. For everyone to see. He taught in public, loved in public, healed in public, died in public. He's confronting the darkness with light. Jesus knew where the light was needed in the midst of darkness. He didn't hide his light under a basket, he set it out for all to see. That's the way light works, and it's the way we shine our light. And let me just say something as we seek to do this in public, as we seek to do it in humility not in self-righteousness, you have to understand that these are very difficult times to to shine that light. (laughs) These are very difficult times to to publicly communicate and publicly take our stand on the way things should be according to God's standard of goodness, justice, and righteousness. Why is that? I I was just recently listening to an interview um, between um, one leader, Kerry Newhoff and Tim Keller, and Tim Keller was challenging younger pastors, younger church leaders to consider to lead their churches in the awareness of how difficult it is to, to be who we are called to be and to embrace all the values that we have because they're constantly going to be experienced in tension because we live in such a day, in such a polarized political, con- con- po- political context that some of the things that we believe biblically— are the things that are held and championed by liberals. (laughs) And some of the things that we believe biblically and stand on are championed by conservatives. And in such a polarizing world, the liberals are going to think we're too conservative and the conservatives are going to think we're too liberal. And this comes down not just to people out there, but our friends and our family members and our neighbors. And so if we're going to care about all the things the Bible says we should care about, like all ethnicities being equal in dignity and value and worth, if we're going to care about the poor and the marginalized and the victims of injustice, if we're going to care for the unborn in in the womb, if, if we are going to care about a biblical definition of sexuality and marriage, then guess what? There are going to be a lot of people who aren't happy with us if we hold all four of those values. It's going to be hard to shine the light. It's going to be hard. It is hard. For us to represent the way things should be and to work towards things being the way they should be according to God's standard. But listen, our goal is not to get certain people on opposite ends of a political spectrum to be happy with us. The ultimate end, it's stated quite clearly here at the end of this text. We let our light shine. We do good works. And here's what we do. We glorify our Father in heaven. That is the chief end of man. That is the chief end of our good works. In taking a stand for the way things should be. In moving things in the direction of the way things should be. What are we doing? We're directing attention to the one who has declared the way things should be. We are glorifying our Father in heaven. So we shouldn't be driven by the accolades and applause of those who agree with some of the things we care about and cherish and believe as a Christian community. We don't live for the applause of men. We live for the glory of God. That's why we shine. When I was first a Christian, when I first became a Christian, I was a teenager, and uh, I was a little, there, there was a youth group that I got introduced to Jesus through, and in that youth group, <laughs> they, they sung a bunch of really bizarre songs. Um, they actually kind of freaked me out a little bit. Um, I don't know if you've, maybe some of you who, who grew up in the church, you've heard some of these, you know, I'm a C, I'm a C-H, I'm achrscin that was weird, okay? I never sung that fast before outside the church, let alone in the church. And then Father Abraham had many sons and we're just kind of flaring our bodies around. That's how I learned to worship like a charismatic Father Abraham. But then there was this other song where, where everybody would say, all right, whoever's leading me would say, all right, get your light out. <laughs> and they'd stick their fingers up in the air and they'd sing the song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. And that was kind of a cool song. Especially because it's really based right there on scripture. It's cute, but it is a little misleading. What Jesus is calling us to in this text is not to let our one little tiny light shine. This one little flickering light that may not make a big difference in pushing the darkness back. Now, Jesus says, You are the light of the world, plural collectively we're not like a little tiny keychain flashlight we're like those we're like those LED lights those stadium lights at the link that when those babies turn on you can't even tell at a monday night game that it's nighttime because it's so bright it's pushed the darkness away that's who we are we we church are the light of the world. And as Christ shines in us and through us, we should anticipate much darkness being dispelled. May God help us. Let our light shine for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father we want to be faithful for your glory. We want to be who your son has identified us to be and we want to do what your son has told us to do. We want to shine the light. Life is not the way it should be. This world is not the way it should be. It's broken. It's cursed because of sin. We didn't listen to you We didn't take your words to heart. We were deceived. And now look at all the destruction. Look at all the devastation. God, thank you. First and foremost, for bringing the light of the gospel into our lives. And rescuing us out of the darkness of sin. And bringing us into the light of your love. Thank you that through the life, death, and resurrection of your son, our sins are forgiven, our shame is covered, our guilt is removed. Hell is no longer our final destination. The new heavens and the new earth will be our eternal home. Not because we deserve it, but because you are gracious and you've shined the light of your grace into our lives. And so God, would you help us now to be faithful to shine the light of your grace, to shine the light through our words and through our deeds. Help us to do these good works and continue to become more and more clear concerning the part we play as both individuals and as a church body collectively. Lead us and give us grace to shine the light. We realize that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Not everyone wants us to shine. Some people would rather us turn the light out. Oh God, help us to be faithful and courageous and compassionate in shining the light of Christ. Push back the darkness. Expand your glorious kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.